Amen. We want to get into the word this morning in Ephesians in chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse, starting in verse 14. I'm going to read all the way to 21. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts, through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask for, ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God, we desperately need you this morning. We need your spirit to strengthen us. We need you to dwell in our inner man. We need you to dwell in us so that we might comprehend, that we might understand and experience your love for us, that we might know your fullness, that we might live in you and you in us, God. And therefore, that we would live how you desire us to live. God, that we would live how you created us to live, that we would be strengthened, overcomers, full of life, the life of Christ. God, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit, God. We really are desperate for you. God, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we read in this passage, we, we know that, that Christ has a plan for us and it's to be strengthened in our inner man. Christ didn't come and die that we might stumble and struggle in this life. He didn't come that we might flounder all the time, but he came to set us free from sin, free from sin and darkness. He didn't come for us to try to be better. And that's sometimes the message that we hear or we misunderstand even, that God wants us to just try harder and to do better, and it's all in our own strength. That's not why Christ came. That's not why he came to dwell in us, but he came to set us free. He wants to live inside of us, and he came to give us life and abundant life. He didn't just come to watch us and say, do better, try harder. We find that whenever that happens, we fail miserably. It just doesn't work. The passage in Ephesians is, is a prayer that Paul prayed, and we should receive that prayer. Even as, as we read it today and say, oh my goodness, that's, that's a prayer. And he says, he says that we would be strengthened, that we would know him. He asked that we'd be able to comprehend what is the width, the height, the length, the depth of his love for us. You know, what a prayer that Paul prayed. And if we could really understand God's love for us. And, and he goes and he uses these words to express that it's so much bigger than we can possibly imagine. God's love for us is vast. And when he uses the word comprehend, it's, it's really an experiential understanding. Understanding of who he is. And that his love for us is so much beyond what we can think. Then he says that we would know the love of Christ and be filled with the fullness of God. He doesn't just want to know him and then try harder. 
but he wants to be filled with the very fullness of God. And I think, do I exude that? Is that what's happening in my life? Am I full of the fullness of God? And the answer is yes. You are full of the fullness of God because God cannot give you any more of himself than he's already given. When he died, when he gave us his son, when we accepted him, we were immediately transformed. Our sinful nature was nailed to the cross. There isn't any more that he needs to do for us. But we do need to understand his fullness. We do need to be able to comprehend his love for us. We do need to be able to allow him to show his life through us. But he doesn't have to do anything more for us. He did it all already. And that is an awesome, awesome message from the Word of God. You know, this life in God, our walk with God, it's a mystery to be certain. I don't know if you think you've got it all figured out. If you do, let's have lunch and you can explain it. Because I certainly don't. And, and, you know, every day I'm in conversation with somebody. I, I, probably every day I'm in a conversation with somebody where I say, you know, I just don't know. I just don't understand that aspect of God. We're always growing in our understanding and our walk with Him. And there's so many things that become a mystery and we trust Him and we just push ourselves into Him. You know, it's the pathway, the life in Christ is a pathway of trying to live for God and to be better and yet we fail miserably at it. Wouldn't, wouldn't that sound right to you? You know, sometimes we think this living with God is just trying to do better and, and, and then we just fail miserably. Because we can't do it. We can't do it. But then we couple that with Christ's dying for us and not just for our sins. See, this is something I am learning. And, and I don't even want to ever say I've learned because I don't think I've learned anything, but I'm learning that Christ didn't just die for my sins. He died for my sin. And what's the difference? See, I've done a lot of bad things. And so Christ died to, to forgive me of the things that I've done. But not only for the things that I've done, he died for my sinful nature. He died for who I was, not just the things I used to do. Because I'm like Paul sometimes. The things I used to do, I still do. The things I don't want to do, I do do. Right? I mean, does that, does that just ring true in our lives? So he didn't just die for the things that we used to do. He died for the sinful nature that we were born with. That very nature that, that children have. And, and whoever said children are inherently good, inherently good, didn't have children. I mean, you know, we don't ever have to teach our children to be naughty. I mean, I didn't tell them, okay, now is when you tell me no, daddy. Okay, say no, daddy. I mean, they learn that so well. There's a rebelliousness in us. And so Christ died not just for our sins, but for our sin nature, for our uh, very way that, that, we, uh, that through the fall of man came into being. He was crucified. He was nailed. And he nailed our sin to the cross, killing it forever. And that's good news. But yet... We go, so why do I still struggle? I mean, I think I know this, and I think most of us intellectually know this, 
that he died in our sin nature. It was nailed to the cross and the work was finished and he doesn't have to go and die again. We don't don't need another sacrifice and yet we struggle so much. If our sin problem has been taken care of, why do we keep on sinning? Why can't we do better? And this is where we find ourselves in that Romans setting. You know, even Paul was saying, you know, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And things I don't want to do, I do. Who will save me from this body of death? And the work has been done, and yet we're walking out and living out the Christian experience, needing to yield our member, this body, to Christ and allow him to live through us. And that becomes the struggle, is allowing his life to be manifest and lived out daily. That's my struggle. Because I come against situations sometimes, whether I'm too harsh with my kids or whatever it is, where I just want to get angry and I want to take things into my own control. And I need to yield at that moment to the Christ that's inside of me, that's desiring to live through me and yield to Christ and not yield to that part that has been made null and void, yet I give him power. It's, it's like allowing a little three-year-old to get you in a wrist lock and not get loose. There's no power there. There's no power. Sin has no power over us, but we allow sin to have power over us. Does that make sense? And you go, wow, is that really true? I believe as we experience and allow Christ to live in and through us, we'll see this lived out more and more. Can we do better? Not in our own strength. We can't. Christ in us is the hope of glory. Right after the section I read in Ephesians, chapter 4 begins with this. Just flip over. If you're in my Bible, you've got to turn the page. Yours might not have to turn the page. And it says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk worthy. Some of us would think, yeah, that's it. That's do good. Some might even interpret that as, you know, earn what I did for you. Earn it. Walk worthy. You got to earn it. You can't earn it. I can't earn it. It's already done. I can receive it. But I can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn what Christ did. And, and I will guarantee that there are some in this room, because of your makeup, your character, maybe the way you were raised at your home, have this thing in you that always wants to earn what's been given to you. Somebody gives you something and you, and you just have to give something back. You have to do something back. You just have such a difficulty in receiving it for the gift that it is. And if you take that into your same walk with Christ, it's going to hinder you. You cannot give back to God and earn what he's already given to you freely. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't serve and love God. But we have to understand that the motivation is not to earn what has already been given. You can't earn it. I can't earn it. And if you're a worker, and I'm a worker, I, I like to do and I like to give. I find that struggle of, of just coming up and getting it into the right thing. God, I can't do this for you. 
to earn what I've already been given. But Lord, I want to show you my love and I want to allow you to live in and through me. The passage in Ephesians, when it says that, says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. That's not saying earn what's already been given. But it, it, it means the word worthy there is it's comparable. And it gives an idea that we're supposed to walk understanding what Christ has poured into us. Just in that understanding that he has done so much that we live circumspectly and in a way that would be worthy of that amazing gift that we have. We don't have to earn it. But when you're given a priceless or an expensive gift, you treat it with the comparable worth. You treat it well because of the value that it is. When we walk worthy, we're just treating the gift of God in the manner that it should be treated. But we don't always do that. In fact, we've been given this treasure. Even Pastor Jeff brought up the, the scripture. We have this treasure in jars of clay. But we've been given this treasure, and sometimes we treat it with contempt by the life that we live. We can't earn the gift, but we should walk worthy. We should live a life that would be comparable to this amazing gift that Christ gave to us. He poured it in. It's not ourselves, and it's not how we feel about ourselves. We don't walk the way we feel about ourselves because most of the time we feel inappropriately about ourselves. We either feel ashamed to the point of, of that we're condemned and that there's nothing good in us, and that's not true because Christ lives in us. Or sometimes we might even have the other side and we have pride. So we don't walk according to our feelings of ourselves. We walk according to the gift that's been given inside of us. The point of Christianity is that it's about his work, not ours. And it seems like it's going to be a lifelong journey. I don't, I, I don't think anyone would raise their hand and say, it's, I'm done. I got it. My, my hair's turned from gray to white, and I've really got it. I know the saints of God, and they'd say, I don't think that maybe until my hair started turning color that I even began to get it. And it's a battle. It's a battle to understand His grace and His mercy and that He lives inside of us. I can't do this, Lord, but you living through me can do this. So God, I humble myself before you. I rely on you. Have your way. In me, that's that needs to be our posture. I can't do this outside of you. I rely on you. And each time our pride rises up, and we say things like this—not that you've ever said this or me—I've got this, Lord. I've got this one. No, it's Christ in you. It's Christ in me. He is the hope of glory. I can do all things. Through Christ, which strengthens me. It's relying on his life and his strength right inside of us to do everything. I am crucified with Christ. This is nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. 
you see, you hear this throughout the New Testament, without the writings of Paul's. Paul's try, getting a hold of it, and he's and he's trying to help us understand. That's why he goes back and forth because he understands that we go back and forth. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I. It's Christ that lives in me. Right? Is that how is that how you feel? That's how I feel. I've, I've got this. I, well, I'm crucified, but I live, and yet it's it's Him in me, and 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 most of the time I think I come over here and try to do it on my own anyways. And I just need to set myself and say, God, I'm crucified in you. Live your life through me. You know, I want to do this. My flesh, the old nature that has no power. And I just need to submit and say, God, live your life through me. I can do it through you because I can do all things through you which strengthen me. So how, how do we, we get there? Well, this is one of the ways we get there. Is, is by hearing the message over and over again. Have you heard this message before? Have you read it in a Bible study? You heard it from the pulpit? You hear it in a devotion? We have to hear it. We have to keep hearing it because it's going to take a long time for us to get it. How do we live in Christ? How do we allow Christ to live through us? It's a process to be sure. And, and I think one of the most integral parts of this process after, of course, Christ actually living inside of us. That's the first thing we have to come to Christ truly and say, I need a Savior and a Lord. I can't do this on my own. We come to Christ and we, and we surrender ourselves to Him. But I think one of the most integral parts of, of understanding this dynamic is going to come through the Word of God. Because He gave us the Bible for a reason. And it wasn't so that we'd feel guilty when we don't read it. I mean, come on. You know, January 11th, how many people, don't raise your hands, how many people said, I'm going to read the Bible through in a year this year? And, and you got the plan, and you know that about three chapters a day, and you can read the whole Bible in a year, and you started out, and already on the 11th day you've missed eight days, which means you're 24 chapters behind. He didn't give us the word of God so that we would feel guilty about not reading it. He gave us the word of God because it contains the words of God. And that is, these words will bring us to a place and understanding of his love and his mercy, of his grace and of his power. And we need to understand it and we need to keep coming back to the word of God. We need to be instructed again and again and again. We need to keep hearing it. Amen? Yeah. Just, just like with anything, we need to keep letting ourselves be taught and, and let it soak inside of us. We need to let Christ dwell in us. We need to submit ourselves to God. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We read these passages and we say, yes, the word is true. Let God be true in every man a liar. The word is true. He says that he lives in me that I'm a new creation in Christ. Keep reading it. Keep understanding and saying, this is true. I don't care how I feel. This is truth. We need to read the word, but we also need to allow the word to live in us. Because it's not just to just read the Bible, just read the Bible, just read the Bible. But, but as we read the Bible, the Bible needs to read us, as we've talked about before. We need to allow the Word of God to live inside of us and begin to change us from the inside out, not from the outside in. 
That's where we fall into so many troubles as we try to allow, we try to let the word change us from the outside in and we just put onto ourselves rules and regulations instead of letting the word come to life in and through us. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. As we read his word, the rhema, the living word gets inside of us and he begins to instruct us. As Ephesians said, God help me to comprehend to experience. That's what that word means. It really is an experiential. To experience what you're saying. We pray, teach me how to live. But in our English language, that's a, that's a dangerous thing to say. Teach me how to live. And some of us interpret that, tell me what to do. Right? Then you, wouldn't you go, yeah, you know. No, t- teach me how to live. How do I do it? Well, the first part, we rely on him. And then and through the word, he will actually begin to live out his life and through his spirit inside of us, living out and he'll teach us how to do it and how he wants us to live. There's a difference. It's not do this, but from within, teach us, God, how to live. As we connect with Christ through the word and through prayer. So we've got to couple the, the prayer and the word because otherwise we're just really, if we're just reading and not praying and letting the word become alive, it's just words on a page. And we're going to find ourselves in bondage. We're going to find ourselves not able to live up to the standard that he has for us in this book. But if we'll pray along as we read the word, he'll begin to live in it and through it he'll become alive. He'll actually walk us through loving our brother instead of just reading that we're supposed to do it. He'll walk us through it. He'll help us to turn away from sin. He'll enable us and lead us and empower us to preach the gospel to the lost because he does it through us. We don't do it for him. He does it through us. So we have to stay with him and in prayer and say, God, have your way. I don't want to try this on my own. So we read the word, but we, we let it read us. We, ha- we let it be part of our, our whole makeup. We're in the word and the word is in us. This isn't a do this and you'll be okay type of thing. It's not just another order, another thing to add to your life and feel guilty about when you don't do it. I got plenty of that. Anyone need any more guilt? I had a good friend. He always used to say, you know, pack your bags. We're going on a guilt trip. But as we're in the word, as we're in prayers, we're in Christ, there'll be a shift in our thinking and we'll begin to finally realize and walk out, what, this is what I was created for. This is what I was created for. But apart from the word, where it's going to be a, a constant struggle. We need to be in his word. And so the, the, we have to be in Christ and we need to be in his word. Well, what, what, is there anything else? I believe the next most important thing ties the word into it and everything else. And that's found in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go there. It's found all over the Bible. And this is just one aspect. And this isn't about a do, but it's about a be. Okay? So what else, how else should we be? What else would God have us do? This is from his word. Chapter 10, verse 24. See, really what this is about is... is Allowing us, putting us in the position for God to do his work in us. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love 
and good works, not forsaking, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So what does that have to do with anything? That question is actually a really good start. What does that have to do with anything? If you begin to even ask questions realistically and openly, then God can answer it. And he will. What, what does meeting together have to do with allowing Christ to live in me and being in the word of God? I can't do, do this Christianity thing on my own. And there's a lot of people who say they can. You know, I'm just going to do this Christianity thing on my own. On my own is the key words in there. Have you said it yourself? Have you heard other people say it? Is it an attitude that's come up? That's the key word right there. On my own. Danger, Will Robinson. We can't do this on our own. This isn't about me and my own. This is about him. But it seems to come, come up more and more. Me, me, me. I, I, I. I can do it. It's all about me. Remember, we died. So we're dead. So we don't exist anymore. So it's not about me and my own anything. It's I'm crucified with Christ. And even though I live, Christ is living through me. And so he puts us in this relationship where he wants us to be, desires us to be, live in fellowship. Don't forsake the assembling together as some are in the habit or in the, in the habit of doing. You know, so why am I talking about that this morning? I am, I, they, I've always thought it was really funny when somebody would preach a message about something that everyone's already doing. You go, why would you preach a message about being in church to people that are in church? <laughs> am I the only one who ever thinks that way? Why would you? We should be preaching the message. In fact, we could look around and we'll all send a text to tell everyone who's not here, you need to listen to the message today. No. Because when we come to church, showing up is a good start. But that's not what he's talking about. God didn't cause the writers of the New Testament to write the things about being in fellowship and being together just so they could punch the time clock or fulfill some righteousness. There is a reason that he says, don't forsake the assembling together as some are in the manner of doing. Showing up is a great start, but there's so much more beyond that. It's like when I would tell my children, or even as I was a young child, was told, Go and, and brush your teeth and wash your face and wash your hands and wash behind your ears and put your pajamas on. So they walk into the bathroom and that's it. They play. They're in there for 30 minutes. They showed up for duty, but nothing was accomplished. The things that were important to do in the bathroom get neglected. Do you remember the old Bill Cosby one? Go upstairs into the bathroom. Take off your clothes. Turn on the water. Get in. I mean, he, he says, yeah, if you don't tell them every step, they just go up there and, and run around in the bathroom. 
You know, that's sometimes what we do at the church. We come to church and we say, I'm fulfilling what Hebrews 10 says. I'm here. I'm here. And yet, no, there's so much more about being here. The reason he says to come here is to accomplish what he wants to accomplish, and that's that we would become a family and live out the one another's of Scripture, becoming more than individuals, but becoming a corporate body, beginning to be unified and have accountability one to another. Why do we come together? Is there a reason? Is there a goal? You know, I've heard that. You know, why do we even go to church? Well, it's, it's not just to hear the preaching of the word. Now, the biblical teaching is so important. That's a big part of it. It's not just to, to come and sing songs, though giving praise and worship to God is important. I can do those two things in my living room. There are some really gifted preachers on the TV or on Right Now Media or wherever it is that we might find teaching from. Gifted people. And they might even have a worship time that we might be able to stand in our living room. Now, if you're really bold, you may have even done this with no one else around you. When, when it comes time to worship, do you, have you ever stood and raised your hand and worshiped? You know, we, we, do we only say that for corporate? I don't know. I, I don't. But I can have a worship time at home and I can have a teaching, a biblical time. But what's missing? Well, let me give you a few things that's missing. If when we come to church, in addition to to worship and to hearing a biblical teaching, we, we can come and see if we can do this all here. See, there's another part coming. Assembling together doesn't mean at this building necessarily. But this, this is a one expression of it. We can come to exhort one another. Well, when I'm at home and I'm worshiping and then I'm listening to whoever I might be listening to, who am I going to exhort? My dog. Get off the carpet. We come to encourage one another. First Thessalonians. Well, remember, now all, a lot of these scriptures say one another. That means... You encourage them, and they encourage you. Exhort one another. That means you exhort somebody, and they exhort, maybe I'll stay home. I don't know if I want anyone to exhort me. I Encouraging is good, but exhorting, I don't know about that. Love one another. Now, some people like to come and be loved. Some people like to come and love others. And sometimes people like to come and love and be loved. But sometimes there's a disconnect on one of those. But we come together to love and to be loved, to encourage and to be encouraged, to exhort and to be exhorted. We come together, 1 Corinthians and other places also, we come together to see the gifts that God has placed in the body of Christ be manifest. We desire to be challenged by somebody who brings that strong word. We might have a a gift of a prophecy or a a tongue with interpretations. We see other gifts, and that's why in the the worship time we try to, to pause and allow room. And we don't always do a good job with that, but we're trying to allow maybe a gift to come and be operating in the midst of the worship service because there's gifts that need to be operating in the in in the fullness, and that can only happen when we're gathered together. We come to show kindness to one another. 
you know, what one way that's done is by the, by the people who bring the snack. They showed kindness to you by bringing a snack. We, thanks to, I think it was Doug and Sandy this morning who brought in, brought in something. We come, let's, maybe I should scratch this one from the notes because this is a tough one. Confess your sins one to another. We'll skip that one. The body of Christ, we need to come together, not forsake it, in order for these things to happen. One of them is to, to confess our sins. I keep seeing it get right up there, honey. It's distracting, sorry. Confess our sins one to another. And then right after that, it says, and pray for one another. See, now we're talking about real life. I can come to church. You can come to church and participate in the worship, and you can sing, and you can hear a message, and you can give into the offering and go home. But so much of the work of Christ is not being done because he uses people to challenge us and to keep us on track. Has anyone ever challenged you in your theology? That's hard. But when you're sitting down and listening to the guy on TV, you say, I like what he says, or I don't like what he says. And there's no one to discuss it with you. No one to challenge. No one to cause you to say, hey, look that up in the Bible. Is that good doctrine? Is that truth? Or are we just believing it? But when we come together in this setting and more in life groups, when we're gathered together in a, in a setting where there's less, uh, less people but there's still a good group, we can get one-on-one and we can challenge each other. We can call each other on things. Exhort one another. And it's so important. It's so important to allow yourself to be in a, a situation... to where God can speak to you through somebody else and you can speak for God to somebody else. Let's be together. Let's understand that we are not lone wolf Christians, that we are, are placed together in the body of Christ for a reason and to fulfill that so that we can together grow up into all the things that God has for us and, and actually reach maturity and, or at least go towards maturity. I don't think we're ever done. Allow us, God help us. As, uh, God, I want to I draw closer to you, and I know the only one who's, who's got the issue is me, allowing you to work in through me. I want to be closer to you one step at a time. He doesn't expect us to do anything, but he does want us to allow him to live in and through us. We got to get rid of this individuality and the lone wolf Christianity that's rampant on, even on social media, you see the posts of people and they're doing church by themselves and promoting stay-at-home types of understanding and not gathering together in the same relationships too because some people say, well, I like to travel around. I like to, tra- I like to go to this group and I like to go to this group and I like to go to that church and I like to go to that church and I like to travel a lot. And you know when we do that, nobody will hold you accountable to anything because they don't know you well enough to hold you accountable. And that's why some people do that. It's just another way. But to have a group of people that we meet with, that we can, we can be accountable to one another, we can confess our sins, because you don't want to be confessing your sins just to anyone anyways. You do want it to be safe. 
no more lone wolf Christianity. When we do it that way, when we try to do life on our own, just as I said, it starves us of accountability. There's no one to hold us accountable. It starves us of encouragement, and not the encouragement through the word, but when somebody actually comes up to you and encourages you and gives you a word from God or, or a scripture and, and really just speaks directly into your life, if you're not meeting together with other believers, you're lacking that type of encouragement. And the Bible says, encourage one another. It keeps us from seeing and witnessing the work of God and the Holy Spirit among his people. A few weeks ago, when Pastor Floyd brought the message, one of the, the great part was when people just began to share testimonies of what God had done in their lives. Wasn't that amazing? We need to hear that. And, and sometimes, and maybe on a Sunday morning, there's a lot going on. We don't, but if we're in a life group, every week you're hearing the testimonies of what God is doing. And every week we get more opportunities to hear somebody who bring a prophetic word or encouragement or show their gift of hospitality. Julie has a gift of cooking. And she brings it to her life group every, every Thursday. And they bring these meals. And uh, is Jane too? And... And what, I think Christine, none of the guys cook. <laughs> Not in that group. Not in that group. But they bring their gifts, whatever it is. And they bring these things. And sometimes, and maybe it's the, the gift of, of taking a subject and really dissecting it and say, let's see if this is godly. Let's talk about what you just said. Does this go into the word and we find these things happening in the midst as we gather together on a Sunday, on a Thursday, as we gather together in the expression of the family of God? And if we aren't meeting together, we're not going to see God moving in his Holy Spirit and his people. We might be able to get some biblical teaching from the TV, but will we ever be challenged to see is it right? You know, we, we, you can go home and listen to five different preachers and your theology is going to be so muddied. And you don't even understand sometimes. I don't even understand, but as we begin to go, you're listening to one person who believes that the Holy Spirit is doing nothing today, that every work of the Holy Spirit stopped at the end of the Apostles' Age. And you might be listening to somebody else who believes that, that he, he's living and active and can do things. And it, we're hearing these teachings, and there's no one to question us and bring us together to say, what does the Bible really teach and so that we can grow? And again, I'm t- talking to us who are here this morning. But is showing up enough? Is God calling us to a deeper expression to understand that we're part of the family of God? There's been things happening this week that are just amazing. You know, and these are just a couple of things that I know of, but Jim Dennis was visited by multiple people, multiple people in the church. They, just, they drove down to visit him as he's recovering still in the hospital. People needing a home who may have found a home right within the church. Because the body is doing what it's supposed to be doing. A few weeks ago, there were people who stayed in the, in the church. The snow snowed them out. And so, so people got together and brought blankets and food and brought them to, to the church so two different families wouldn't freeze and they could stay here in the middle of a snowstorm. People helping one another, driving them down the hill to doctor appointments. The body is alive. And we're becoming the family of God. Don't miss out on what God wants to do with you in being connected to the body. It's a scary thing. It's a scary thing. But there are so many benefits to being 
in community, in family. What did the cross of Christ accomplish? One of the things it did is he killed the individual. He doesn't want us to be me, eyes. But he said, you are the church. That's, that's a corporate expression. We're not the church when I'm by myself. I'm not the church. I'm a, as I like say, saying, I'm a family. That, that, we would never say, I'm a family. But I'm part of a family. But I have pe- heard people say, I'm the church. No, you're part of the church. And this is the church. We're the church. And we're part of the church with all the other believers in Big Bear. But Christ wanted to kill the eyes and understand that we're part of the we. And get us into families and be encouraging and challenging one another to grow in our faith and to allow God to live his life through us and to even come alongside when you're struggling and saying, you can't do this on your own, but Christ is in you and he'll walk you through it. Challenging, encouraging, loving, serving. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is true. And you've said that we can't do this on our own. Apart from you, we can do nothing. But we can do all things through you, which strengthens us. God, you've called us to live in family and community. Lord, I pray that you would do that in and through us. Draw us into life in, in the midst of other believers. Help us to bring our gift to the table and honor the other gifts that are there. Bring us together at different times in life groups and on a Sunday morning or a Tuesday morning at Starbucks to be part of the body of Christ and not just to have fun and fellowship, but to accomplish the things that you desire us, that we would come allowing you to live through us with a word of exhortation or prophecy or encouragement or being hospitable or a giver. Live through us as we would come together in different expressions to help people see who you are. I can't represent you on my own. But in the midst of this group of people that you've put me in, we see a better picture of the love of life of Christ. Father, live this week in and through us. Help us to submit and allow you to do what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. See you on Thursday at 6.30.